Dear Heavenly Father, this is our prayer, that you would enable us to behold that man upon the cross, that man upon the cross that took our sin, shame, and guilt. Father, we ask that in these moments together, we would taste and experience your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, how many of you experienced road rage in the past year? If we're really being honest, how many of you experienced road rage this morning? According to a recent AAA study, 8 out of 10 of you experienced road rage or aggression or angry driving this past year. According to them, 33% of you made angry gestures this last year. According to AAA, 45% of you honked to show annoyance or anger. 47% of you yelled at another driver. And 51% of you admitted to purposefully tailgating. The common offense, gawking at accidents or failure to use your blinker, your turn signal. Horrible offenses. That's a lot of anger. 80% of you, and I will bet that I'm not speaking to the other 20% this morning. In fact, drivers from our area actually rank higher than many other areas. Yeah, I think you can probably believe that. Somebody told me this morning there's also a thing called Metro Rage. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it has to do with the subway there as well. The Auto Insurance Center also did a study using Instagram to see where the hashtag road rage was most often used and when. You'll be happy to know that August is the month with the most road rage and July was second. So enjoy your summer driving. D.C. uh, was the number 13 city for experiencing road rage. I was really surprised to actually see all the other cities made sense in the top 15. They were large metro areas. But number three was Mount Pleasant, North Carolina. So maybe you can explain that one to me if you are from Mount Pleasant, North Carolina. If we're being honest though, anger doesn't just exist in our cars. Anger also exists in our home, in our workplaces, And I would submit to you this morning that anger is one of the most common enemies that we all face. In fact, one pastor said, in marriage, anger rivals lust as a killer. My guess is that anger is a worse enemy than lust. You see, our anger matters to AAA, but our anger also matters to God. And so he has a lot to say about it in Proverbs So let me give you four thoughts from the book of Proverbs on anger. The first is this. Anger is powerful. And because it is powerful, anger can be destructive. If you just look at some of those Proverbs that we read, 14, 29, and 30, or 15, 18, and 19, 19, you can see that anger will make you foolish. It will distort your ability to see the world. It will actually make your bones rot. Anger has the power of death. And then anger also causes strife. Anger has the power to wound other people. Here's a few Proverbs further about anger not on your list. Proverbs 25, 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue angry looks. 
A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Or 21.19, better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Or 30.33, pressing the nose produces blood and pressing anger produces strife. Proverbs says anger is like getting caught in a cold and driving rainstorm. It's like being weighed down with a sack of sand and stone. It's like living in a parched desert or it's like being punched in the nose. Not good things. You know, I think that most wars and most murder and even suicide actually begins with anger. We see that in the Bible. We see because of anger, Cain killed his brother Abel. We see because of anger, Moses murdered a man in Egypt. We see anger everywhere, even outside of the Bible. In psychology today, here's a letter to a newspaper counselor. Dear counselor, you told the mother of a three-year-old with anger problems to let him kick the furniture to get the anger out of his system. Well, my younger brother used to kick the furniture when he got mad. He's 32 years old now. He's still kicking the furniture, what's left of it, but he's also kicking his wife, the kids, and anything else that gets in his way. Last week, he kicked a television out of the second-story window. The window was closed at the time. You don't need me to tell you about the destructive power of anger. I bet most of you have experienced it in your life. Many of you may have been hurt by angry people. Maybe even by people who are supposed to love you, a mother or a father. Maybe you grew up in a household where just the slightest provocation, the wrong word uttered at the wrong time, can just set someone off and boom. Maybe you were hurt by someone who should have loved you in their explosive bouts of anger. Maybe some of you have actually had explosive bouts of anger yourself. Maybe you have been embarrassed You've uttered lines that you will regret. You've acted in ways that you wish could be seen. You have these angry outbursts. And then when you settle down and you calm down, you feel like a fool. But not only have we been hurt by angry people, not only have we hurt others by being angry, but maybe some of us actually prolong and even savor our anger. You can refuse to grant forgiveness and bitterness will just grow in your soul. Frederick Buchner wrote about anger. He said this, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last twosome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are woofing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Anger can cause your bones to rot. It's destructive. It's powerful. It's dangerous. It can be like nuclear energy in the heart. 
So I don't have to spend a long time belaboring this point. Anger is destructive. But for maybe some of you, you're following along in our order of worship. And maybe you've even seen the insurance of pardon where God is described as being angry. Maybe you even know the Gospels well enough to know that Jesus was described as being angry. So how are we to think about anger? Brings me to my second thought from Proverbs, which is this. Anger is actually desirable because anger can be good. Look at Proverbs 16.32. It says, being slow to anger. That means ruling your spirit. It doesn't say never get angry, but it actually says, be slow to anger. Anger that is slow is actually a good thing. And I would submit to you, if you are never angry, then you are sinning. You say, whoa, pastor, that's a little strong. Don't believe me. Trust the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 4.26. He says, be angry and do not sin. In the Greek, it's an imperative. It's a command. Be angry. In Exodus 34.6, when Moses asked the Lord to show me your glory, how does God describe himself? He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is described as being angry a lot in the Bible. It's actually an attribute. How are we to think about that? Some of you might say, well, that's not my God. My God is not angry. Well, if that's not your God, then your God is not the God of the Bible. But let me help you think about it for a moment. Actually, the more love equals the more anger. Without anger, there is actually no love. And you have to think about God's anger like this. It's very different from ours. It's not a cranky explosion, but it's his settled judicial opposition against a cancer of sin that is eating out the very souls of the people that he loves and the world that he made. He hates injustice and evil and, and all the horrible things in the world precisely because he's loving. You see, Jesus was the perfect human being. He was angry, but he never sinned. Jesus is described as being angry at the money changers in the temple because they were preventing worship. He's angry at religious people over their hard hearts. He's angry at the tomb of Lazarus. At what? At death. He's snorting at death. He's furious at death. He hates it. And he's angry. He's described as being angry at the disciples for forbidding the little children to come to him. I love the way B.B. Warfield described it. He said, even the lamb feels and shows wrath. You see, anger is desirable because it can be the outworking and the expression of love. Think about it for just a moment. I think Becky Pippert, in a book called Hope Has Its Reasons, is really helpful in thinking about this. Listen to her description of anger. She says, Think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. 
Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. The more a father loves his son, the more he's angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in the son. If I, a flawed, self-centered woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more a morally perfect God who made them. We want a God who is angry at sin and evil and injustice. Anger is desirable because it can be good sometimes. I would submit to you that real love, true love, must get anger, angry. One pastor said, Anger is love in motion towards a threat to that which you love. You see, as believers, as followers of Jesus, as people made in the image of God, we too should be angry when we see the weak and vulnerable exploited. We should be angry when we see poverty and violence in the neighborhoods. We should be angry when we see art and culture infected with sex and violence. We should be angry at education that is broken and ineffective. We should be angry at materialism and passivity that is present in the church. Our hearts should cry out like the psalmist in Psalm 97.10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Do not be indifferent to sin and evil and injustice, but imitate the Lamb. I would actually submit that a lack of righteous anger against evil is a sign of a loss of morality. Anger can be a good thing placed in us by God to tear down injustice. So it's powerful. It's destructive. It can be used for good. But then why is it so deadly at times? And the reason why is point number three. The corruption of anger. Our anger is corrupt and our anger is really, really deceptive. Most of the time, we try to justify, we defend our anger. We think that it always has reason. But if you look at 2429, it says, most often our anger is without cause. You know, anger is so deceptive. When you look at positive commands, very rarely do you have to say, and do not sin when you do this positively. So we said, be angry, the positive command, but do not sin. You don't find that for other commandments like, hey, be joyful, but do not sin. Don't be too happy. You see, anger is very deceptive. Be angry, but do not sin. You know, if we're being honest, I think... 99 times out of 100, our anger against spouses, friends, co-workers, parents, or children is usually unrighteous anger. Most of the time, our anger does not mimic the anger of God. And you know what? Most of us, I would submit this to you, most of us in this room actually have more anger than we realize. Because anger wears many masks. You may think, I never yell, but you know what? Your anger can appear in tears and withdrawal and silence. You can be so angry you refuse to talk to the other person. Anger can also appear in criticism or relentless 
correction. It sounds like you always and you never, when you make those absolute statements over and over, that's a mark of anger. Or even frustration. We have a lot of different words for anger. I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. No, you're angry. It's just on the spectrum. You're frustrated, but you're angry. Trust me. You know, anger is so deceptive and it's so corrupted. How can we think about it? Well, there's a guy by the name of St. August, uh, St. Augustine, not the beach. St. Augustine, I think, is really helpful in thinking about the deception of our anger. He would write about disordered loves. And basically he says, as followers or as humans made in the image of God, we love things more than we ought to love them. It's a good thing to love, but our, orders, our love needs to be ordered. So we love good things more than we love ultimate things. What are some of the good things that we love? You love your family. You love your job. Those can be good things, but he says, if you love your family and if you love your job more than you love God, then your love is disordered. And when you have disordered love, you will have disordered anger. Disproportionate love, disproportionate love or ang- is, is a co- consequence. Dis- disproportionate anger <laughs> is a consequence of disproportionate love. If you care more about the love of other people more than the love of God, when they insult you, when they criticize you, you will feel snubbed and you will respond disproportionately. Why? Because you're looking for created things to give you what they cannot. Only ultimate things can give you eternal security, eternal significance, eternal happiness. And when you expect your spouse to give you what only God can give you and they don't, you are going to be disproportionately angry. And you know, after we get angry, you know that sense of when someone else sees our anger? You know that conversation you're having with your spouse and you thought no one was listening and then you turn around and bam, they're right there and they're overhearing your conversation. How do you feel? You feel humiliated. Why? Because your anger, your pride, your ego, your self-centeredness is on display for everyone to see. You see, we have to always ask this question. Why am I so angry? What am I defending and what am I trying to destroy in the moment? Anger is deceptive because I am so selfish. You are so selfish. We are so self-centered and full of ego. So, all right, pastor, I get it. There's righteous anger, good anger, and there's unrighteous anger, there's bad anger. How do I tell the difference? I'm so glad you asked. I have four characteristics for you. Characteristic number one of righteous anger or good anger is this. Righteous anger is proportional. Not all offenses are equal, according to Proverbs 19.11. Some of them you need to simply overlook. Let me give you some examples of anger that is disproportionate. I see it in my kids. My seven-year-old or my five-year-old, whenever I tell them at a reasonable hour it's time for bed, they respond with disproportionate anger, as if I have just told them to cut off their leg with a chainsaw. They are unreasonably angry about having to go to bed. 
Or let me give you another example of disproportionate anger. When my wife roots for Tennessee to win their football game because she wants me to be a decent human being the rest of the day, my anger is disproportionate that a group of 18 and 19-year-olds playing a stupid game on Saturday can make me angry the rest of the day. That's wrong. That's disproportionate. Righteous anger should be proportionate to the offense. Second characteristic of good or righteous anger is this. It needs to be purposeful. 15.1 and 16.32 tells us a well-directed word subdues anger and can capture a city. Do you hear how powerful a purposeful word can be? You see, those of you who are parents will understand this. If you really love your child and you want to see them making wise decisions, you should not want to destroy them. You should want to destroy the foolishness in their mind. But most of the time, a lot of our discipline doesn't look that way. A lot of my discipline doesn't look that way. I get angry and upset when they might make me look bad. It might damage my reputation. Or I can get angry and upset when I want to get home and I just want to read and they need something from me and they disrupt my schedule. Not all the time, but sometimes that can happen. (laughs) And then how do I respond? Or maybe when they do something wrong, they're fighting with their brother or sibling, how can I respond? You see, a lot of times when we discipline our children, we're responding to them. We're meeting their anger with our anger rather than meeting their anger with wise and righteous anger. We need to not seek to destroy them, but we need to seek to destroy the problem in them. You see, discipline is an opportunity for our kids to understand that they're sinners and they're in need of grace and it is freely offered to them. Discipline is an opportunity to teach our children to become like Jesus, not to serve me and my kingdom. When you discipline your children, is it with good and bad anger? Can they tell the difference? Are you destroying the problem or the purpose? Third characteristic of good or righteous anger. Righteous anger is plotting. I found another P. Or slow. 1518, be slow to anger. You know what that literally means? It literally means to have a long burn. That's what the word patience means. The Greek word for patience means a long blaze. It means you ought to have a long fuse. It should take a long time to set you off. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached over 200 sermons on the book of Ephesians. And when preaching about anger, this is what he said about being slow to anger. He said, Christians often express to me their irritation at hymns or tunes and such like things. And I get the impression sometimes that they have been so put out and so put off that they cannot settle down and listen to the sermon. Easily provoked. That is sinful. We should not be easily provoked. We must seek after the love which enables us to hear all things and which is easy to be entreated. Sometimes it takes strength to be slow. Do you burn slowly? The fourth characteristic of righteous or good anger is that it is precious. And I mean that rare. Righteous anger should be rare. James 1, 19 to 20. 
Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger should be rare. I'll give you another example from my life. Just last week, I was playing baseball with my seven-year-old in the backyard, and I corrected his swing, and he started to cry. And so I walked over to him, and he started to cry and apologize and say, I'm sorry. It crushed me. You know why? Because he couldn't tell the difference between my coaching and my discipline. And he was right And you know why? Because my image, my reputation as a parent was too wrapped up in my child and so that it came out as anger. Parents, it's so easy for us to tie our reputation and our image to our children and for us to become unrighteously angry when they don't make us look good. And even our children can tell the difference. You ought to be able to tell the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger. If you can't, people around you can. And if you're brave, you'll ask them. So how can you tell the difference between good and bad anger? Well, righteous or good anger is proportionate, purposeful, plotting, and precious. Think back to the last time that you were angry. Do those words describe your anger? Most likely not. So what hope is there for angry people? I'm so glad you asked. Fourth and final point, there is redemption for anger. Anger has been defeated. Look at 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath. And then 25.21 is radical. Save your enemies by what? By feeding them when they are hungry. By giving water to them when they are thirsty. When they are dying, nourish them so that they live. Now, let's think about loving our enemies. But let's not think about loving our enemies out there. Let's think about loving our enemies in our home. For sometimes, our children or even our spouses can feel that way. My seven-year-old, you know, it's summertime throughout school, so we've tried to plan fun things. And so... One day, we we took them to the swimming pool in the morning. We were there for several hours with just so much fun on water slides and all that sort of stuff. That afternoon, we took them to a birthday party with inflatables. So much fun. We weren't done yet. We went to the Nats game that evening. So much fun. And then we get back at a reasonable hour at, at night. It's time for bed. Do you know how they responded? Dad, you never let us stay up and have any fun. What are you talking about? Do you know how much fun I was today? Do you know how much fun I have given you today? Can you count how many minutes we were at the pool on the inflatable games and at the Nats Park and you even got a hot dog? Don't talk to me about fun. You see, there's anger, disproportionate anger from that seven-year-old in that moment and he becomes an enemy. And I can respond in one of three ways. I can meet his anger with my anger and probably crush his anger. Or I can just withdraw and be silent. Or I can wade into his anger and I can be gentle and I can speak truth and love to him in that moment. Loving our enemies means feeding them grace in the moment. 
Now let's think about loving our enemies close to home. Let's think about how our relationship with our Heavenly Father even looks similar. Think about our anger towards God. Think about the last time when we were mad at God. You never give me what I want. You never let me have any fun. And how does this God respond? He's patient. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And He loves so much. He sent His beloved Son to become one of us. And we were so angry. Do you know how we responded? We killed Him. We said, let His blood be on our hands. And we chanted, crucify Him, crucify Him. Jesus was the only one in all of history whose anger was perfectly proportionate, purposeful, plotting, and precious. Yet what did we do to Him? We arrested Him. We beat Him. We mocked Him. And how did He respond? He was silent, like a sheep before It shears. And he said, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know what? He didn't just take our anger, but he took the wrath of God that our anger deserves. You see, the wrath of God is pictured in the cup. And it says in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. What he's saying is, Lord, I don't want to experience your anger and wrath And God says, my plan is perfect. This is the way you have to go. And what does he do? He goes to the cross and he drinks every last drop of that wrath and that anger in that cup that you and I deserve for our anger. You know what? He did not just feed his enemies. He did not just give his enemies something to drink. He died for his enemies. Romans 5 God shows His love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from what? From the wrath of God. And what does He promise to angry people who come to Him? He promises angry people who come to Him acceptance and forgiveness in Christ. Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Friends, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, of wise anger. When you and I, when we stare, when we gaze at the love and wrath of God on the cross, we will become a people that is slow to anger. Now, two quick closing thoughts. You may be thinking, all right, I get it. I'm an angry person. I see the cross. How does this begin to practically change in my life? Step one is this. Admit you are angry. The gospel frees you to admit that you are angry because you are not accepted by a holy God based on whether you are angry or not angry. You are accepted because of the righteousness of Christ. And you know what? You are free to admit you are angry. And I know from experience that anger is one of the hardest things for anyone to admit. You'll say, I'm depressed. You'll say, I'm worried. But you very rarely will ever say, I'm angry. I was reading a book recently, Dangerous Calling, by Paul Tripp. Many of you probably know that name. And the opening chapter is all about his anger. He's a pastor, and he wrote this. He says, I was a very angry man. 
The problem was that I didn't know I was an angry man. I thought that no one had a more accurate, accurate view of me than I did, and I simply didn't see myself as angry. No, I didn't think I was perfect, and yes, I knew I needed others in my life, but I lived as though I didn't. In many ways, it scare me now as I look back on them. I was a man headed for disaster. I was in the middle of destroying my marriage and my ministry, and I didn't have a clue. His brother actually asked him questions about his anger when they were driving home from a work trip, and he began to realize it. So when he went home that night, he just called to his wife and confessed his anger, and she wept. And she is so thankful because God has used that confession, him admitting his anger to transform their marriage in profound ways. Friends, admit your anger. If you're really brave, if you're really courageous, ask someone you trust. Ask a friend. Ask a parent. Ask a sibling. Am I an angry person? And listen. The second practical step, if after you admit that you're angry, you need to analyze your anger. The gospel frees us and it gives us the tool to analyze our anger, to discover our disordered love. Do you remember the prophet Jonah? Jonah got so angry at God because why? Because God didn't destroy Nineveh. Because of his racism, he was furious. And how did God respond? Did God come to Jonah and say, you idiot? No, what did he say to Jonah? He says, Jonah, consider your anger. Is your anger justified? What is it based on? Think about it. Analyze your anger in that moment or after. Talk to a pastor or a counselor or a friend and think about your story. What is most important to me in that moment that is making me so angry? And then you'll see the functional Savior in your life. And as you see the glory of the cross, as you see the beauty of God's love and God's wrath, then you will begin to repent of living for so much less. And you will begin to love Jesus more than you love yourself. Friends, that's the path to having wise and righteous anger. And when we do that, this community, your commute, this city will be changed. B.B. Warfield summed it up. We are to conquer anger in others by the soft word which takes away anger, by the patient endurance which disarms it, by the unwearying kindness which dissolves it into repentance and love. Love is the great solvent, and love is the bond of peace. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this can be an uncomfortable subject for us thinking about anger because of the anger we have experienced and the anger that we have given others. But Father, help us to see your anger and your wrath that was satisfied on the cross. And in doing so, help us to see your love and your beauty. Lord, help your righteous anger to melt our unrighteous anger. Lord, help us to live gospel lives. Help us to live wise lives. Father, in this last song, help us to see this throne of grace. And help us to be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.